Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome, everybody. Pure Dog Talks Live podcast. Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs, where your passion is our purpose. And we've got some questions that are from our listeners to start with. All right. Renee Owens, she writes, I'm trying to get his, I assume the dog's, grand championship on my four-year-old Boston Terrier. But he has this new thing where on the go-round, he pulls very hard toward the center of the ring and starts to gallop. He got his championship at 19 months, was put away to grow some muscle, got two best and specialty show wins, and then COVID. Any ideas? He doesn't do it in class. He is not stupid. I need an in-the-ring strategy. Okay, so Renee and anybody else, here's the thing. Dogs now four years old, been off or pretty much off for a couple of years and is super jacked up. Probably you're a little jacked up when you're in the ring. That makes a difference. And I say this all the time. Our dogs don't communicate with us or we don't communicate with them with our words. Words are... Oh, good grief. Right? Was Peanuts the teacher in the Peanuts show, right? That's all dogs hear. What they hear is our tone of voice, our body language, and our energy. So like our nervous energy or our negative energy or our very positive energy or, most importantly, our zen energy. Okay, this hand signal to my kids that worked for me meant just cool it. Just go inside yourself, in through the nose, 
out through mouth, take a deep breath, focus on your dog, work on your watch me command, work on all of those things so that your dog is centered on you and focused on what you're doing. And that I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. All right, Renee. And the other thing that I have as a particular favorite sort of go-to move, if you will, in the ring with a dog that either wants to chase the other dogs, wants to get jacked up, wants to run, wants to be a ding-dong, whatever it is, whatever excitement they have going at that moment. Usually you've got a lineup of dogs, right? Your best of breed, you've got a whole bunch of dogs, a whole bunch of specials in the ring, whatever it is. And they all start to move. And instead of standing there facing the back end of those dogs as they start to run away from me and the dog facing them as they're running away from them, I turn the dog. I put him fully perpendicular to that line of dogs running away. I keep him completely focused on me and on a watch me until it is our time to go. And then we go. We give the dog in front of us three full strides before I start. And then we go. And then the dog is going to be more collected, more together. If you can concentrate the dog's attention on you, not on the surroundings, not on these other dogs that are running away from him that he wants to chase, he wants to play, he wants to do whatever, turn him to the side, keep him on a watch me, and then just when it's time to go, turn and start your go round. And start that easy, gradual, one, two, three, go. All of those things go into it. The judge is not going to be as interested in seeing your dog be nose to tail, nose to tail, nose to tail, nose to tail going around the ring as they are going to be seeing your dog move correctly, move collectedly. And your entire job in the ring is to show your dog to its very best advantage. And that is very frequently not racing like a lunatic right behind the other dogs in the ring. So, that is my suggestion for Renee on the dog who gets very excited, pulls to the center of the ring, does all of those things. That is my in-ring strategy for that particular type of behavior. Okay, Carissa Nielsen had another great question. She said, I have a very young English cocker, four and a half months old, and my very first show dog. Yay, Chris, I'm so excited to hear that. When gating, he always wants to be looking at me instead of straight ahead where we are going, which I feel throws off his gate. I'd love any suggestions. Carissa, this is such a common, common movement fault. And you are absolutely right. Every time that dog's looking up at you, his front feet are going like this. They're not going like this. And so absolutely correct in your observation and a very, very simple fix, I will tell you. Don't look at your dog. I know, seems kind of silly and sort of simple, but we get so worried about what the dog is doing that we're constantly looking at them and the dog's reaction, of course, because again, they don't respond to words, they respond to body language. If we're giving them eye contact, they're going to give it back. So when you move, two things. Put the collar straight, whether you're moving him on a Resco or a chain or a modified, whatever you've got, put the collar dead on the back of the dog's skull, right up the occiput. 
I know people get crazy about this, but trust me, this works. Give the dog a straight line to follow. Do not strangle the dog. You want to have what we like to refer to as contact without tension. It's a very important thing. And it's a piece of what we talk about a person having good hands on the dog. They can have contact. Like if you're riding a horse, for those of you who are horse people out there, I promise you there's so many comparisons. You want the horse to know you're there. You want to have contact with the bit, but you don't want to be up in the horse's mouth. Okay. Same exact thing with the dog. Contact, not strangulation. Okay. Straight line, right up off the occiput. Straight line. You run in a straight line. Another important movement fault is we need to not look like drunken sailors. Sometimes it's a thing, right? Okay, move in a straight line. So get done with your exam, get the dog off the table, stand, go in front of the judge. Make sure that the dog is lined up with the judge, not you. So many of us want to stand in front of the judge. Judge doesn't want to see your backside going away, he wants to see the dog's backside going away. Dog in front of the judge you to the side. Look at the far end of the ring. Look at the corner post. Look at a pole. Look at a lady with a funny hat. Whatever. Straight line. Run down. Turn around. Run back. Do not look at the dog. And I promise you do that a few times in practice and handling class, it will quit looking up at you. It's looking up at you for validation. You're going to do all of your communication through the leash. Your hand on the leash is, again, you're in contact. Everything's good. Everything's comfortable. Nobody's worried. No stress. No drama. Straight line, straight back. Look up. Do not look at the dog. It is a painful, difficult thing <laughs> to train yourself not to do. I promise. But it will make all the difference in the world. And as long as the dog is happy, right, like you don't have a super shy dog, I also would not talk to the dog. Because as soon as we're talking to them at that time, they're looking, again, looking to us for validation. So that's some very early and essential basics. After that, if you're still having problems, you can use Cavaletti poles and you can teach a target so that the dog runs through the Cavaletti poles and gets a piece of food sat on a chair at the end of the Cavaletti pole. So they're looking forward to that. You can also use a ball and roll it forward while you're moving the dog. All of these are more complicated answers to the same question. And honestly, nine times out of 10, just simply moving the collar to the point of the occiput, running in a straight line, not looking at the dog and not talking to the dog will work. Gunner. Hi, Gunner. What should she be giving the dog to look at then? Okay. So Gunner, the dog is going to naturally look forward of its own accord. They will mimic your body language. If you look forward, the dog will look forward. And I talk about this, the same thing when you're training a free stack, when you're training anything else, the dog will literally mirror you. So if you have the dog facing you and you're trying to do a free stack and you're all slumpy, the dog's going to do the same thing. Stand up, you know, shoulders back, tummy in, chest out, all the sort of marine parade ground thing. The dog's going to do the same thing. You point your toys out, toes out, the dog will point its toes out. It is absolutely miraculous. Try it sometime. You line yourself up. You have the confidence. The dog will do the same thing. So you look at the corner of the ring. The dog will look at the corner of the ring. Absolutely. hundred percent. 
And then if for some reason you have one of the tiny fraction of the dogs that that's still not enough, as I mentioned, use your Cavaletti poles or use your ball to move them forward. Okay. Bethany, I know you're there all the way from Australia. I don't even want to know what time of day it is in Australia. That kind of scares me. So I'm super impressed that you're here joining us. So thank you. <laughs> okay. Bethany had a really great question. She has a young whippet that is 15 months old and she gets distracted and he's trying to get to the dog in front of him or in the best of breed classes, trying to turn around and look at the bitch behind him. Okay. So Bethany, I think you were here when I was answering Renee's question. So all three of these questions really fit nicely together. They're actually kind of similar. The same answer applies with your whippet that wants to chase or be worried about what's behind him, what have you. Practice that turning sideways until it's your turn to move. Practice the watch me and then go. And then if you have a particular exhibitor who wants to follow particularly closely, you might just quietly say to them, hey, could you give me just an extra couple strides? My dog's a little worried or, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do so that your dog has the ability to showcase himself nicely on the go round. Some of the same things I was talking about in answer to the question from Carissa can also apply because you want to look where your dog is going, not look at the dog. You want to have the dog focused on being in tune with you and moving in stride with you. If you can do those things, most of that's going to go away. So for those of you who have additional questions, those are the three that I had. So those are the questions I had going in. Meanwhile, I'm going to do a little bit of a riff and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've been spending the last three months working on, which is the ebook from the audio book from the How to Stack Your Dog. How to Stock Your Dog was originally a column I wrote for Best in Show Daily a million years ago, and it got so much reaction that I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked because people did not have mentors. They didn't have people to tell them to teach them how to stack their dogs. And I was absolutely blown away by that. And so that is what has developed into what was a CD audiobook is now going to be a downloadable audio file as well as a downloadable ebook. So that's a lot of what we're talking about tonight. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys. If you are part of a national breed club in the U.S. or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's Breeder Support Program before, and this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now, you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part? Your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at Trupanion. Hey, Kathleen, how are you? Kathleen wants to know about tips for keeping my toy dog 
peppy in the group ring, particularly when Brie judging is early in the morning and groups are in the late afternoon. Great. Bethany says her dog is a walking hormone. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, Bethany. Let me finish with Kathleen. So Kathleen, here is my suggestion for toy breeds. And I know you have, if I remember correctly, Japanese chin. And any of these smaller toy breeds tend to get almost hypoglycemic in a long day. And so you show in the breed, you win the breed, and that's eight o'clock in the morning and you're not going in the group ring until four o'clock. So put the dog away, put it in its dog crate in the setup, give it a toy, put it in the X pen, let it chill. Give it a little bit of lunch. So some people don't feed before they show in the morning. I'm one of those people. Make sure that it has food after that. That hypoglycemia can really, really, really weigh down on those small five, 10 pound dogs, okay? Try a little bee pollen or bee vitamin. I am not a fan of NutraCal and some of these other things that are just quick pick-me-ups and particularly in the toy breeds, the hypoglycemic crash and burn of spike and fall. I just really don't like it. So bee pollen is a really good one. And just chilling out, like in their pen, playing with a toy, having a nap in their fluffy bed, whatever it is that is that dog's particular happy place, let them have that. Make sure they've had a good potty. Make sure they've had a good nap. Make sure they've had a good lunch. And then it's like a whole new game all over again. The biggest thing I would not do is leave them sitting on the table for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. Chen, do not have such extensive grooming regimens that you can't do it in 15 minutes before the group ring. Dog is clean. Maybe you wipe up a little pee from when he went outside and you're done. And so I really think it's important that those dogs get a lot of rest and a good snack and a little bit of running around exercise. And then they're fresh and ready to go later in the day. I think the very worst thing you can do is drag them around, push them around, put them on the table, leave them on the table, do all of those things that I see too often. They're just detrimental. That poor dog is exhausted. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. So if you want to take a nap, your dog wants to take a nap. That's all. <laughs> that's always a great plan. So Anyway, let me know if that kind of rings a bell, Kathleen. Bethany, walking hormones. Okay, this is actually a thing that you can work on. Remember that teenage boy dogs are teenage boy dogs, just like teenage boys are teenage boys in much the same way. Teenage male anything thinks lower than with their brain. Just going to leave it there. And when those dogs are all jacked up like that, it's hard to get them to concentrate. So one of the things that you can do is actually kind of take away some of their ability to smell some of their environments. The old time dog handlers used menthol, like Vicks, like the thing you put on your throat when you have a cold. That's kind of mean to a dog that has so many smelling receptors, although I, I'm not going to lie, I've done it. I actually like and have used and had really great success with vanilla, just like pure vanilla extract on a cotton ball, swipe it under their nose. And all of a sudden, all those girl hormones aren't nearly as exciting because the sense of smell is a little bit deadened without destroying it entirely long-term. So there's that tiny tip of the day. Okay. Yes. Bee pollen is one of my favorites, Kathleen. It's a longer acting, less glycemic index kind of thing. And I think just is a better overall supplement during the course of the dog show weekend, you know, give them a little bit with their lunch sort of thing. 
Okay. Anybody else drop something in the chat there. Meanwhile, I want to talk about a couple things. When we talk about having a challenge in the ring, there's kind of like categories. So a dog that pulls away from the judge is one category. Moving with their dog is apparently today's category. And pacing. So like they're moving wrong. So since we're on the moving category, seems to be what everybody started with, pacing. Pacing is a thing that we see in a lot of breeds, a lot of breeds, particularly large breeds, any of the more square breeds, very, very common. It is somewhat structure. It is somewhat lazy, to be honest with you. It is not proper movement for the show ring, so we avoid it. We don't want the judge to see us pacing. The judge is going to yell at you if your dog paces. Hopefully they'll yell nicely, but I'm saying. So we are going to talk a little bit about how you can avoid that, number one, and how you can fix it, number two, if it happens. So to avoid it ever happening, we need to start training our dogs on leash when they're baby puppies, right? Like I talk about this all the time. Like you have to do this all the time. This isn't something that you yank your dog off the couch and run into the show ring and think they're going to be big winners. I mean, it's just not going to happen, guys. So be realistic. Know that you have to put the work in and put the work in. And if you don't put the work in, don't complain when you get beat. That's all I ask. Start with your baby puppies just on a kennel lead. Teach them to walk on a loose leash. Loose leash is always a challenge. And as they learn to do that, as you've got them on this little soft kennel lead and they're going the wrong way and you turn the other direction and say, puppy, 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 and they come running to you and pretty soon they just kind of stay with you, that loose leash walking is so critical to training the dog later to move. The idea of going in circles and instead of, you know, just being really rigid and it has to do this and it has to do that and it can't do the other thing. We're very loose and we're very free and very open with these baby puppies as we get started with this. The basic idea is they have to stay with you, okay? And then you can graduate from there. I don't put my baby puppies on a show collar, you know, like a chain show collar, anything like that, often until they're six months old. <laughs> they learn to do everything on a kennel lead. And they learn to free stack without a leash at all. And they learn to hand stack either on the table or on the ground for a piece of food or before they go in their crate or what have you. So those sorts of early foundational building blocks are so, so, so important. And I think one of the things that in today's society, too many of us lose track of is that these are dogs. They are not for children. They're dogs. There are comparisons between raising a puppy and raising a child, but they're dogs. They need boundaries. They need guidance. They need direction. And they need someone to be in charge of their universe. Because if you're not in charge of their universe, they're going to decide they're in charge of their universe. And that is rarely in any breed going to be a good idea. And in some of the big, strong, working and tougher sporting breeds and things like that, it can really be dangerous. So really start with dogs, giving them guidance, giving them boundaries, giving them direction, building them up, helping them understand nothing is worrisome. You got them. No problem. I got you. I got your six, babe. And if they understand that, everything is going to go a lot better and a lot smoother all the way along. So with your movement, start on the loose leash walking. 
as you go along, if you're finding that they want to forge ahead or they want to lunge or they want to do some of these other things, teaching them to respect the leash pressure is so important. And it's just a simple tap. You tap the leash and you go the other way. You can do it with a slip collar. You can do it with a kennel lead. You can do it in almost any way. But they need to understand that they don't get to just drag you around. That's not acceptable behavior. It's not funny. It's not cute. You don't put a harness on to solve it. All that does is make them pull harder and further away. Just a simple tap on the collar and go the other direction. And they're going to understand that that's the way they do things. Okay. So starting with that foundational piece, then you move up to starting to teach them to walk nicely beside you on the leash, right? So you've got the idea of a loose leash. You don't gag and drag. You don't like run away with me. And so I, again, I start all of my puppies with that, as I mentioned, the leash right on the point of the occiput, not tight, but just so they know that there's a collar there. And we just go in a straight line and you have to walk before you can run. And I think this is something that's so important. Everybody wants to start running. No, 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 no. Everybody has to walk before they can run. So walk down and back. Just walk, just walk, just walk. Walk in a straight line, walk back in a straight line. Then the dog will know what it's actually supposed to do. And then you can trot down and back. But just think of it as building blocks. Think of it as baby steps Think of it as setting your dog up for success. And if you just slap a chain collar on them and run, they don't know what's going on. They don't understand what you're demanding of them. So try to have a little respect for their perspective and helping them understand what you're asking them to do. So finally, you have this dog that after all of this still thinks that pacing is the right answer. I see this Akitas. I have had a number of Akitas over the years who could actually go from a trot to a pace while moving. It's truly frightening. A few Ridgebacks, a Portuguese water dog that was such an amazingly smooth pacing dog that most judges never noticed and would give him the breed while he was pacing. It's terrifying. Uh, so I'm saying this is a thing that is particularly challenging. So your best solution is that you need to get the dog a little bit off balance, like you would put a horse a little off balance if it's going on the wrong lead, for example. So you do your exam, take your dog, gather it up, go in a big, what we call a courtesy turn, right? All the way. And your courtesy turn should end at like the ring gate behind the judge. And you're going to do one, two, three, and a little lift on the collar. Just doesn't have to be like a big production. You don't have to hurt the dog. Just lift, just bump them off balance. Lift them up. If they have a beard, I used to scruffle the beard on one of the Spinonis that like to pace. Anything that just throws them off a little bit and then go. And the important thing about a dog that paces, don't stop. <laughs> like seriously, you have to keep moving. So you're on your down and back. And in most cases, I say, go to the end of the down, stop, turn around, look where you're going, go back. No, down, back, <laughs> don't stop. Because once the dog is actually moving properly at a trot, it's much easier to keep him moving properly at a trot than it is to start him and have him pop out of a pace. Generally speaking, speed is a big part of it. Practice, have a friend watch you, videotape it, know what a pace feels like on the leash and what it looks like on the camera, all right? 
Remember a pace is when you take the left front and the left rear forward together, and then you take the right front and the right rear forward together versus what they're supposed to do, which is the left front and the right rear together underneath the dog to balance them, and then the right front and the left rear, same thing. Okay, so that's the primer on pacing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody for joining us. Fabulous questions. And I'm really glad everybody could join us. I always have so much fun. So thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.